Welcome to a new decade, to the year 2020. And I wonder how many of us are thinking about the next year ahead and, and changes perhaps that we might like to see over the next 12 months. I don't know whether you're one of the millions of people who set New Year's resolutions. Apparently the most common New Year's resolutions are the same, exactly the same every year. Uh, eating healthier, losing weight, exercising more and spending less. Now, if you have made a New Year's resolution, you may be encouraged or possibly discouraged to know that if st statistically you are average, then you only have a week left to keep them. <laughs> Apparently the 12th of January this year is Quitter's Day, the day <laughs> predicted to be the one on which most people will give up on their New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions don't tend to work for almost anyone. Things generally don't change for the better because we wish they would, or even because we resolve to change them. If, however, you have a plan, then this could be an amazing year for you. Setting aside New Year's resolutions, the reason people make them is because they want something to change for the better. Many of us want things to be different. We see things the way they are, and we long for that situation to change. There are a lot of things far more important than eating healthier, losing weight, exercising more, and spending less. In your own life today, you might be aware of an area in your personal life where you just would love to see change. Perhaps there's an issue or an obstacle which you're struggling to get past. In the life of our nation, there are areas that we would love to see change. We're concerned about things like obstacles to the gospel, issues which are sad and painful and complex, areas in which our society is being pulled away from God's design. In the wider world, there are areas we would love to see change. Justice issues, environmental threats from floods to the fires that are raging today across Australia, persecution of people of faith, wars, there are rumors of wars, and we long to see change. But what can we do? We long for breakthrough, something only achievable with the help of something way beyond our own resources. And this morning I'm going to talk about a practice that may be a key in unlocking breakthrough, that Richard Foster in his excellent book, Celebration of Discipline, suggests can bring breakthroughs. He's particularly focused there on the spiritual realm. Can bring breakthroughs that will never happen in any other way. And that practice is fasting. As you'll be aware, we are joining other churches in the vineyard movement across the UK and Ireland in a period of 21 days of prayer and fasting during this month. And you'll see that you have a card. You have the smaller version of this. If you'd like the larger version, it's at the Connect area uh, with some prayer points. And this is being shared around all the churches, really, around the vineyard movement. And we're doing this because... We, together, we long for breakthrough. We long that God's will would be done in our own lives, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our nation, and beyond. And the most powerful thing we can do is pray for that. I recently read Pete Gregg's new book, How to Pray. I recommend it to any of you. Uh, and he tells in there some extraordinary stories of God intervening, of changing apparently impossible situations. And he observes that intercessory prayer not only changes us, but truly 
changes the world. And he provides quite a lot of evidence in the book for that. And as we'll explore this morning, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Fasting not only frees up a little time to pray, but it adds power to our prayers in very significant ways. And so we want to invite everyone who feels able to, to fast at some level during this month and to pray, especially for the things outlined on the card. Now you may be here today and you, perhaps you're new to faith or you're exploring Christianity or maybe actually you've been following Jesus for many years and you wouldn't be alone in thinking that fasting is something that really only particularly spiritual people or really religious people or legalistic people even might do for a special need. Many here have never considered fasting as a practice that you might personally do. But I hope you'll see today that fasting is something that all Christians are encouraged and invited to participate in. 30 years ago, I had no idea that fasting was something Christians are encouraged to do. Except possibly I'd heard about someone major for a specific decision, just uh, you know, missing some food. But I don't recall having ever fasted in my life up to that point. And it was my pastor at the time, John Mumford, who happens to be speaking here next Sunday morning. Eleanor is speaking in the evening. And he told me that he had for many years done what his first uh, boss, you know, vicar, when he was a curate, had taught him. This is something that Christians do. Uh, fast once a week for a period of 24 hours. So between dinner one day and then eating dinner the following day. And uh, he had done that practice for a long long time and and he said so this is what you should do and I'm like really I was his apprentice I was like what he said yeah basically I mean there are a number of spiritual disciplines but top three read your bible pray and fast regularly so I said okay well I'm your apprentice I better do this thing I thought what a whole day like a whole day with no food you must be joking I'd never in my entire life gone anywhere near even a portion a long portion of a day without food but um I began that very week expecting it to be mild torture and discovered, in fact, it was. Um, <clears throat> but since then, as part of my regular devotional life, I've been in the habit of fasting for 24 hours uh, once a week. And I'm pleased to say it got a lot easier over time. Now, I'm not under law about this. If I feel run down, I won't fast. If I'm ill, I won't fast. If I'm on holiday, forget it. You know, look. <laughs> If I'm at a conference and there's, you know, people to have lunch with and all that sort of thing, I generally won't fast. And some weeks I simply forget. But it is a spiritual discipline which I generally include in a normal week. And I want to encourage you, as John encouraged me, to take some steps towards fasting at some level being a normal part of your life. So I want to look with you at what fasting is, what it achieves, and how practically we might go about doing it. So let's start by asking, what is fasting? Well, fasting is the practice of giving up something that we normally do. It's denying an appetite. It's most common to give up food, but it could also include other things that we have an appetite for, such as social media or Netflix or shopping. Biblically, we don't see much in the way of people giving up social media, Netflix and shopping. Okay? It's always a practice involving giving up food at some level. And in the scriptures, we see three basic 
levels of fasting. We have partial, normal, and absolute. So a partial fast involves refraining from a particular type of food. For example, Daniel, who is a prophet in the Bible, tells us that for three weeks, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. So he's essentially saying for three weeks, I ate nothing but boring food. Another prophet, Ezekiel, ate just bread and water for over a year. So that's a partial fast. The most common type of fasting we find in the Bible is what we call normal fasting. That's not eating any food, any solid food, just drinking water or drinking some other form of drink. And we see Jesus doing a normal fast for an extraordinary length of time, not eating any food. But presumably he was drinking water in the wilderness. Luke 4 verse 2. For 40 days... He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I imagine he was, you know, not eating for nearly a month and a half, 40 days. For some of us, 40 minutes without a snack is a challenge. And on a normal fast, eating no food, I just need to point this out, does not mean that you can put your sticky toffee pudding and ice cream in the liquidizer, thus making it fluid. That doesn't count, okay? But rather, one might drink water, some form of juice, coffee, tea. And then there are absolute fasts, which means no food and no water, just ingesting nothing. For example, when Esther heard of the threat of execution for her people, she called on the whole nation, uh, the Jewish people, to fast from both food and drink for a period of three days. Now, this is quite unusual, and three days is about the maximum for not drinking for a normal human body before it begins to potentially do some damage. So fasting was a regular activity for God's people. In the Old Testament, various leaders of God's people called the nation to fast in times of national difficulty. And a number of fasts were actually put into the calendar each year, which they observed. Every year it came around, there was a time. And that continued into the New Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives guidelines on praying and fasting, twice he says, when you fast, in verse 16 and 17, when you fast. So when you fast, don't go around looking hungry and somber and so on. Just get on with it. Just do it. It's not about people seeing you doing it. Just get on and do it. But he doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. And it's clear then that Jesus expected his followers to do this. When asked by the Pharisees who fasted twice a week as a matter of their routine, why his disciples didn't adopt that habit, Jesus answered them that when, he's, when I'm gone, then they will fast. Richard Foster says, Jesus made it clear that he expected his disciples to fast after he was gone. It is clear that Christ both upheld the discipline of fasting and anticipated that his followers would do it. And we see, for instance, in the book of Acts, which tells us about the early church, that they did. In Acts 13, for instance, verse 2, it says that while the church was worshipping and fasting, thus and so happened. So we can see that fasting is supposed to be a normal part of life for God's people at various times. But what does it achieve? Fasting may feel like a foolish and somewhat unproductive activity. What, what, what does going without something, food or something else, really do? But as Richard Foster points out, numerous people have written on the many values of fasting, such as increased effectiveness in intercessory prayer, 
guidance in decisions, increased concentration, deliverance for those in bondage, physical well-being, revelations, and so on. In this, as in all matters, we can expect God to reward those who diligently seek him. So I'm going to focus today on three main areas of what fasting achieves. First of all, fasting is a means of dedicating ourselves to God. By deliberately denying ourselves food or something else, we're making the statement that God and his will comes first. At the end of the 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted to miraculously uh, make some bread, you know, to satisfy his hunger, he said in response to that temptation, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was saying, while food is important, right now I'm focusing on what God wants. God's agenda is more important than eating, even when you're very hungry. And when Jesus was sitting by a well talking with a Samaritan woman and missing lunch, as he did so, he explained to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm engaging with this person that God wants to save. Lunch is not my priority. As King David writes in Psalm 69 verse 10, I humbled my soul with fasting. Or in Psalm 35 13, I humbled myself with fasting. When we fast, we humble ourselves. We put ourselves in a position where we acknowledge that God's interests are higher than our interests. Fasting is a way of saying, more important than my needs or interests, God, your will be done. So fasting is a means of dedicating ourselves to God. Secondly, fasting facilitates direction from God, actually hearing more clearly God's voice. Some of us here are old enough to remember one of these, an analog radio, which uh, had a dial that you turned, and so you could tune in and find the radio station that you were after. And you had to make your way through a load of white noise and static, and then carefully turn the dial and then turn it back a bit to get in the exact position so that you could hear your favorite radio station clearly. Fasting can be a bit like that. It allows us to tune the radio in, dialing down, dialing out the other noise of life to hear what he is saying more clearly. You know, God is wanting to speak to us far more often than we make ourselves available to hear him. He is speaking, but we are spending so much of our life tuned in to other things. In the book, The Making of an Ordinary Saint, Nathan Foster writes this, nothing turns the volume up on God's voice like fasting. Everything becomes so clear. In Acts 13 and 14, God spoke about the appointment of missionaries and elders during a time of fasting. Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. Daniel prayed and fasted for the interpretation of a vision. And in the book of Judges, we see uh, God's people fasting not only in response to a war, but to gain guidance on whether to go out into battle. Fasting makes us more acutely open to hearing God speak. I've sometimes fasted for a period of time when I've had a really big decision to make. And, you know, I really need clarity uh, on what God wants me to do. And I've often known a heightened spiritual sharpness through those times. It really does help to tune our spiritual antenna in, if you like. I was recently at a seminar uh, with a pastor from the U.S. called Larry Stockshill. 
on the subject of fasting. And he has a passion for this practice because he's experienced God speaking clearly in such times with just great clarity. And I found his seminar really quite inspiring. One little story that he shared was about a time six years ago that he and a friend decided they would fast for 21 days, not eat anything for three weeks. 15 days into that fast, I believe he was on the way to the airport to go away for a ministry trip for a week, and as he drove past the home of the governor for the region his church was in, I don't think this governor was a Christian, as he looked up on the hillside, there it was, this magnificent house, and he saw in his mind's eye immediately the front door blow open and let the wind blow in, and he sensed the Lord was about to open that door for a Bible study to happen in this man's house. And so Larry thought, whoa, what was that? But he prayed that if God wanted this pretty much impossible thing to happen, then he would have to open the door for it. So he went off on this trip, returned the following week to uh, an invitation from the governor's assistant, inviting Larry, would you please come and teach a Bible study in my home, uh, covering the Bible like in four uh, studies? And he readily accepted the governor's invitation. Obviously, he's kind of clued in because the Lord had warned him about this. And that was six years ago. That Bible has continued, I think, most weeks for the whole of that time. The third thing is that fasting gives weight to prayer. It adds weight to what we're praying. As a church, over the last 20 years, we've gone through a number of seasons of fasting, often leading up to a gift day for a building expansion project, the original purchase of this land and the building and then the extension and then more buildings and so on. Often we've done a 14-day period together because we've really needed God's intervention. You know, We've really, really needed breakthrough and uh, we've taken prayer and fasting really seriously. And over the period of usually 14 days, people have elected to fast at various levels from food or from other things and they've gone without a meal or they've gone without desserts or all sorts of levels. And I've never talked personally, actually publicly, about what I've done during those times. But I've recently been encouraged to let you in on my experience, partly by what Larry Stockshill said and partly by others. Now, everyone's experience is different. Fasting is much easier for some people than it is for others. So I'm not saying do what I do, I do by any means, but rather sharing what I do in case it's helpful in illustrating that I really do believe in this. So we've done a number of times when we've had gift days like that, a number of these 14 days, and on most of those times, I've not eaten anything for the whole two-week period. Now, that's a long time. You might say, that's dumb. No food for a fortnight. You're, you're risking making yourself ill. That's crazy. Well, yes, it would be dumb unless, as I do, You believe in the power of fasting and the weight that it adds to our prayers. And it's not actually as hard as it might seem. I've kept a diary through a couple of those extended fasts. And after about the first three days, it tends to get easier and easier. Hunger pangs seem to uh, reduce. And I've I've written, I feel guilty, like it's day seven. I feel guilty, I don't feel too bad. Um, you feel bad in all sorts of other ways. It's not just the hunger pangs. But the breakthroughs that we've seen as a church on our journey of building expansion alone, raising extraordinary sums of money and getting planning permission against huge opposition has been absolutely remarkable. 
I believe one of the key factors has been that we've taken seriously the invitation to fast and to pray. John Wimber, who started the worldwide vineyard movement, was a large man. He used to describe himself uh, self-deprecatingly as a fat man trying to get to heaven. He was a big man with a big appetite. And he said that if and when he fasted, which was quite rare for John, uh, he was effectively saying, I really mean this. I mean, for me to go without food, I really mean this. And that's often how I cope with the discomfort of going without food. As I pray about something really important, I'm saying with my body, I really mean this. Recently, a friend's baby was facing an extremely serious health risk. And as soon as I heard, my response was to stop eating. That was something that Larry Stockhill had talked about in his seminar. He said, when, when a crisis hits, stop eating. You need the Lord to intervene urgently, stop eating. Now, don't take this literally uh, if you are diabetic or if you've ever suffered from an eating disorder. But for me, I, I'd heard him say that in the seminar. I thought, I should do that. So I didn't know at that point how long I might continue fasting, but I simply asked the Lord to prompt me when it was time to eat again. And I didn't eat anything for a, a week. And the ongoing discomfort drew me back into praying for this baby numerous times of day. And whenever I woke in the night, what I was saying to God by going without food was, as I pray for this child, I really mean this. Fasting draws us into God's presence, and just as any relationship when you spend more time with someone, you start to become a, more aware of God's heart. And we can find ourselves yearning for the things that God yearns for. The Lord mourns. In fact, he's in a sort of constant state of mourning, in part. Um, he mourns over the way things are. This broken planet, this broken world, the fall of man, the whole thing. He longs for things to be different. Uh, we see it in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 where Paul writes that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Often when we mourn, we go without food. And fasting is a way of entering into God's experience, of joining our hearts to his mourning, of saying we wish things were different. I would encourage you, if you are going to fast at any point during these 21 days, to, um, especially on the days you fast, set aside a little time to pray. But even if you cannot, that doesn't mean don't fast, because fasting is implicit prayer. It's like your body is saying, silently or not so silently, it's, it's interceding. Your tummy, those sounds, those, you know, sounds that you'll, you'll sometimes be aware of. It's like, think of that mm, as a sort of mm. Mm. It's like effectively saying, Amen. Amen. Honestly, to, to all that you've prayed. So you may only pray a few minutes in that day, but actually your body is just praying all the time. Amen. Mm. Mm. I find actually fasting does help me to pray. It brings a more constant awareness of God. You know, something's wrong. You just feel out of sorts. It, I, I feel hungry. I feel just wrong. Oh, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's who I'm doing it for. But by no means is it a constant spiritual high. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of the best Victorian preachers, wrote this. Our seasons of fasting and prayer in the tabernacle, that's the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. I wish I could write something like that, but that is so far from my own experience. It's unreal. Spurgeon was describing a reality for them, but that really is the exception, not the norm. I would encourage you to fast without any expectation that it's going to be a wonderful experience. Most times you just feel hungry, even hangry, just irritable, you know, uh, uncomfortable. You may feel cold. Generally, you'll feel weak. So to recap, fasting from food or from feeding some other appetite is a way of putting God's interests above our own. It facilitates hearing God, hearing his direction. It sharpens our relationship with him and it adds weight to our prayers. So lastly, let's take a look at some of the practicalities involved. If you're anything like me, you find it hard to add any more activities to your already tight schedule. So if I was talking about prayer this morning, encouraging you to pray more or to read your Bible, uh, I'd be encouraging you to do something extra to what you might already be doing. Fasting is in some ways a whole lot easier, whether from food or from Netflix or from whatever it is that you choose to deny yourself. One of the great things about fasting from food is that it not only doesn't cost anything to do, it actually saves you money. It not only doesn't take any time, it actually saves time, time that you might have spent shopping for food or cooking or eating or washing up. There are no biblical requirements about when and how to fast, but I've personally found it useful to decide on when I'm going to do it and how frequently, if it's a life habit, uh, that I'm going to do that. And then, you know, to plan to fast. Firstly, planning what kind of fast you're going to do. The degree to which you do it is very much dependent on your life situation, like serving in various areas of ministry in the life of the church or how much money you might give to the Lord's work. It's between you and the Lord what you do. The widow's two copper coins that Jesus observed were more appreciated by him than the riches put in by those who could easily spare it without any sacrifice. If you've never fasted before from food, it may be helpful to take a slow and steady approach. It might be an idea to start with a partial fast, like missing one meal or, or during uh, you know, one number of days during this month, or, or maybe the Daniel fast, which involves giving up certain, basically everything delicious. Just stop eating that. You, know, you can still have lots of calories and food, but just don't have all the nice stuff. There may be circumstances that will influence the kind of fast that you do. For example, if you're a breastfeeding mother, you might be able to go without a dessert or eat a boring meal. If you have a medical condition like diabetes, you need to be very careful about adjusting your food intake, you should talk to a doctor before you make any significant change there. If you have any sort of eating disorder, going without food may not be the best thing for you. You might prefer to fast by depriving yourself of something else, television or Netflix or shopping or social media. If your job involves a lot of manual labor, you can't expect to work and starve for very long. 
many years ago I was part-time as we began this church. I was part-time as a decorator and part-time as a pastor. And I remember once I did a 12 or 13 hour day up a ladder. I was stripping wallpaper, which is pretty hard work. And this was on a ceiling. So I was really, really working hard, sweat and everything. And uh, I remember at the top of that ladder once, suddenly my vision kind of closed in. Everything got very dizzy and I very nearly fell off the top of a stepladder, which is quite a dangerous thing to do. So I discovered the best thing to do is to fast on my pastoral days, not on my physical days. So the second thing to plan is when you're going to fast. I found it very helpful to decide on a particular day, for me Thursdays, so otherwise it probably wouldn't happen because to be honest it's very rare that I wake up in the morning and think, yes I think today I'm going to fast. It doesn't generally happen spontaneously. And then try on that day not to fill up all the time you would have spent, you know, preparing food or eating it or washing it up. Don't just fill that with other stuff, but rather make sure there's a bit of time in that day to intentionally turn your attention to God. One common challenge when starting to fast is setting your sights too high. You know, oh, I've heard that talk by John. I come away inspired. and Yeah, I'm going to go for a three-day fast, having never done it before. You've never worked up for it. And you may discover after three days, three hours, I'm sorry, three hours, it was all over. Did you know that Pringles, very quietly, can actually speak? <laughs> that tube of Pringles on the counter, beckoning you. Just, just come over near me. Just, just smell one, you know. Just taste the salt on the inside of the lid. Just have one. And before you knew it, the whole tube is gone. The danger with that sort of experience that I've had, and many of you will have had, is I can't do this. I'm obviously not disciplined enough to be a faster and giving up. If you've never fasted before, or you haven't for some time, you might want to build up the length of time gradually, perhaps starting with missing a meal, or missing maybe two. And one useful way uh, I've found is, is eat the evening meal and then eat it again the next day. That's 23 hours roughly as a fast. And to grow in the practice of fasting, you have to thirdly keep going. I find that on the day I've planned to be fasting, as soon as I get downstairs in the morning, even before I've remembered I'm not eating that day, I feel more hungry than I do on any other day. It's uncanny. Some mornings when I'm busy or I get up late, I could skip breakfast, I could hardly notice it, you know, not when I'm fasting. So I reach for the fridge, and it's a good place to stick this card is on your fridge, because every time you go there, you think, oh yes, I should be praying about that. What's day four? Yeah. Reach for the fridge and suddenly remember, ah, it's Thursday, whatever. And it seems like there's, on that day, temptation everywhere. When our lads were younger, I'd sometimes make some toast for them and I'd spread it thickly with Nutella or, or with butter and Marmite, you know. And the aroma would assault my senses. I'll sometimes come in here to the office and someone's left some homemade brownies out for the staff or there's a box of chocolate someone's opened and, and I'll reach for one and then I'll remember and has to as it were slap my own hand ah no but I'm hungry you know and I don't get any less hungry as the day progresses whoever it was who applied the English word fast to this practice had obviously never done it <laughs> the day drags on when you're looking forward to a meal sometime down the track when I take the uh, long trek home from my study, which happens to be at the bottom of our garden, it might be 23 hours since I ate dinner 
the evening before. Now, I'm not one to stand on legalistic ceremony, okay, over trying to wait until it's exactly 24 hours. So I'll often pile into whatever I can find that looks remotely edible. There is a tin on top of the fridge with stale cake from some months ago. That's game. There's a tin of dried up peaches from two weeks ago in the fridge. I don't even like peaches, but, you know, basically there's food available. I'll generally eat it. And I tell you that to tell you this. When you fast, you just feel hungry. You may get other symptoms, like you may get a headache. Many people find that that headache is caused by stopping ingesting caffeine. They're kind of caffeine addicts. They've drunk vast amounts of coffee or tea through the week, and then suddenly they go to water or juice or something, and then they get a headache. Well, if that's you, just be practical about it. Have coffee while you're fasting. You know, have some caffeine if you'd like to. You may struggle with hunger pangs. One interesting thing that I and others have experienced is kind of a bit counterintuitive, but only drinking drinks with zero calories, such as water or black coffee, is usually easier than having a few calories from milk or, uh, you know, in your coffee or juice. A few calories tends, at least in my experience, not to take the edge off my hunger, but actually to increase it. Fasting is so much easier for some than for others. And it is not a competition to see who can go the longest without food. It's an expression of devotion to God and a commitment to his purposes. For some, to fast for a short time is a major sacrifice. For others, fasting for an extended time really costs us no, no more. The degree to which you fast is not the issue, so much as the fact that you're doing what you feel able to do and doing it unto the Lord. It's more a matter of your heart than it is of counting minutes or calories. We'll all be coming to this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting with different experiences. For some of you, fasting is like a totally new concept. You're really quite shocked this morning. You're going to go out of here and say, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Others of you, it's perhaps been a normal part of your Christian life. Others of you have heard someone teach on the subject. You've read something. Maybe you've given it a try. Others of you may have intended to try, but have never got round to it. And some of you used to do it, but it's kind of drifted away, and it's been ages since you fasted. Whatever your situation, I'd encourage you to be like the woman in Mark 14 who broke a bottle of perfume and anointed Jesus. Jesus said of her, she did what she could, and she did it for me. Same applies to fasting. Do what you can, and do it for him. I would encourage as many of us who can to join with churches across the Vineyard Movement in the UK and Ireland to take part in this 21 days of prayer and fasting and use that card on your seat as a guide as you join thousands of others around these nations. The prayer points are also available at trentb.org forward slash prayer to anyone and do keep an eye on our social media channels for updates. Shall we stand?